Save the date for the 12th of September. Join our webinar on digital transformation in manufacturing. We are exploring how IoT, AI and smart factories are reshaping our sector. Hear from industry leaders like Airbus, Rolls-Royce and Heriot Watt University. This is a must attend for professionals and decision makers in manufacturing. So register now at resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. That's resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. The link is also in the description. I had a wide ranging conversation this week with Marco Chassin, who is currently the principal robotics engineer for Airbus. Marco started from humble beginnings in Venezuela and his love for robotics at an early age ended up taking him all around the world, working at such companies as KUKA, NASA and currently Airbus in Wales, where he lives with his family. This conversation is all about the exciting, fast-moving field of robotics and the impact it will have on all of our lives. I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. From Redfern Media, this is Remake Manufacturing. My guest this week is Marco Chassin, the principal robotics engineer for Airbus, currently based in North Wales. Marco is originally from Venezuela, but he's worked all over the world, particularly in Japan, where he got his PhD in aerospace engineering. He has a hugely impressive CV that includes roles in robotics and automation at KUKA Robotics, Aerotech, MathWorks, Cyberdyne, and Toyota, to name just a few. Marco, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you, you started uh, fairly humbly in back in Venezuela, but you're now one of the leading principal robotics and automation engineers in the world. So what first attracted you to the world of robotics? I think initially, um, I was also very curious as a kid. I remember reading books, uh, you know, from, from my dad. My, my dad it was a specialized in computer science. So I remember reading books and getting involved in technology, you know, and, and as any other kid, I, I remember watching many cartoons. I came from Japan at the time. And so I got him very keen on, on watching, uh, you know, these uh, huge robots, you know, battling monsters and things like that. Um, I was always curious as to how these things would work. And I guess that's where my interest for robotics came through. And, you know, it stayed with me all along. I, I'm, I'm still very passionate about those things. And, and, th and so are my kids today. That's so great when you can, you know, something inspires you in your childhood and then it becomes, your dream becomes your life, basically. Absolutely. I think I've been very lucky on being able to, to do what I want, to do what I like. And obviously I've, I've had great opportunities to do so. And so I take it you are now working on those huge robots uh, that you saw when you were a child. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm working on, on, on fairly big robots, to be honest. Uh, several, some, some of them actually are systems that weight several tons, for sure. But obviously not in the same, uh, let's, let's say the same shape or the same form that, the, that those I, I watched when I was a kid. Well, we'll get into some of the robots that you are working on a little bit later. But just for now, just tell us, you know, your love of robotics, how has it changed the course of your life? So robotics has been uh, basically the catalyst of what I've done all my life. It is the thing that kind of brought me to where I am today, is that passion I had for it. It is, is, is one of those things that you're constantly uh, challenged about. I remember being at, at uni back in, back in the you know, late 90s, and, and people would tell me, what are you doing this? If it's not something you can directly apply to it, right? I mean, Venezuela historically has been an, an oil-producing country, so... It, Robotics is not perhaps the, the, you know, the one thing people want to do. They want to be working on the, in the oil industry. But I was, you know, 
on the other side of that and say, look, you know, this is what I want to do. I don't know where this is going to take me uh, at the time, but uh, it's my passion. So I kind of follow that, uh, you know, try to learn as much as I could. And and it's taken me all over the world, quite literally. You know, I've, I've been to many places just because I've been to a conference or presenting a paper or having a meeting with, you know, some customer or some supplier uh, in, in, in many stages of my career. So uh, it, it's changed my life completely, to be honest with you. And a, and a big part of that journey was in Japan. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about KUKA, the the huge factory over there? What's that all about? So so KUKA. Uh, so w- yeah, I spent a long, you know, most of my professional life I spent it in Japan uh, at this point. Um, uh, KUKA has, it, to be honest, in, in Asia they have a big presence. Uh, as you may recall, they were bought by a Chinese company in, back in 2016. Uh, so the the actual big factory is in China. It's, it's near Shanghai. Mm. However, the operation they have in Japan. Uh, it's fairly small, and it's because they have really big competition with the domestic manufacturers in Japan. You know, Japan leads the world in, in industrial robots, right? So it's very difficult to compete with them. However, you know, it was a very challenging position to do. Uh, as 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 I said, we were very few engineers. We needed we needed to wear many hats on every single job. Um, it was very enriching, but um, ultimately, it taught me a, a lot of things about being committed to to deliver. Uh, and being able to to you know deliver quality to the customer, it was the only way for us to compete with the big players that we had in the you know in our, right in our backyard. So it's it's something that I, I uh, you know it's a mentality that I still have today. I'm very committed to to you know seeing a, a job all the way through the end and not leave it you know uh, halfway through or something. When you're in a, when you're in a company big as as big as Airbus and it's easy to get distracted by other things and you get moved and you you get reassigned. I I, I like to mm. stay true to what I'm doing and, and try to see the whole thing all the way to the end. So that's perhaps the one thing that I, I brought from Japan into what I do today. And you also worked um, for Toyota out there. What, what, what did they teach you? So Toyota, uh, I think it was, a, it was a, uh, to be honest, a, a rough uh, initiation to my, uh, to my professional life because it was my first uh, real job out of the university. Uh, out of my, you know, right out of my PhD degree, I went into that and, and, and it was, uh, let's say, working on a big corporation, learning the, the ropes of how to behave in, in, a, in an environment like that. Uh, it, those are tools that I still use today. I will admit, though, that I wasn't ready for it when I, when I actually did it, you know, 14 years ago. But, uh, but today, understanding how other corporations like that work has helped me a lot into what I do today here in Airbus. Mm. And how did you find Japan generally? Was it easy for a Venezuelan to, to fit in with Japanese culture? Um, I, I think uh, I, it was easy for me um, because I was very passionate about the Japanese culture at the time. I mean, uh, when so I, 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 the way I got to Japan, it was because I got a scholarship to get that PhD back in the day. Um, and, and I got to tell you, you know, when we arrived, so you arrive to Japan in, in the same plane with all other, you know, all the other students are coming with, with you to do this to take this, to take on this adventure, and I got to tell you, there was nobody happier than me on that day that I had finally arrived in Japan, and I took it all that like that. You know, I was very open to adapting to the new new uh, culture, trying new things, me- meeting new people. I went there with my at the time my my uh, my wife, and we had kids, and we we uh, really well adapted to the life there. So I, I really enjoyed. It. I miss it. Uh, sometimes I miss it more than I miss uh, Venezuela. For obvious reasons, obviously, you know the situation over there is not that great, but um, it's it's really an amazing place. You know, it's, there's there's nothing like it in the world. So tell us where we are today then with robotics and how the field has evolved over recent years. What's going on? I think what we're seeing today is that 
in, in my view, obviously, what we're seeing today is that robots have uh, gotten to a point in which, you know, physically speaking, they are at their peak performance, right? I mean, you, you see now these uh, amazing robots on, on, on YouTube from Boston Dynamics or, or other companies like Honda or, or, or Toyota even, that they can do these amazing things like you do them, you see them, uh, you know, going up and down the stairs or, or running or jumping or doing backflips even. Um, so you, we, we see that uh, on one end, you know, robots doing amazing things. In terms of industrial applications, uh, robots have not changed that much over the last 20 years, which means that um, uh, really the, the, in, in terms of peak performance in, uh, of what they can do physically, we, we, we are at the top of where we have ever been. Um, the, the transformation that we're seeing today is more on, on services, on hard, on software, and how the software now interacts with the hardware. Now we have higher performance uh, uh, processors and, and high performance systems that can go, you know, toe to toe with, you know, what these robots can do nowadays. So uh, uh, I think we're seeing a transformation of this uh, this mechanical, let's say, mechanical system companies of, of all, like KUKA or Fanuc or, or Yaskawa, evolving into companies that can you know, not only provide you with hardware, but also give you the software and the tools to actually do better things with those, you know, with those devices and, and actually improve your, 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 your productivity and help your personnel in order to be you know, more effective and, and, and better and produce more and, and obviously make more money. And, and is artificial um, intelligence a big part of that? It is. I mean, uh, you see now that uh, other companies that are not traditionally hardware uh, or, or industrial companies like NVIDIA, for example, they're now producing systems that uh, they're able to process that information much quicker than before and give a real output that will be beneficial to a system, uh, to a robotic system like that. So you see this uh, not only for, robot, for actual robots, but also you see that on the autonomous cars or autonomous vehicles that you see now, you know, uh, in, in that field, like, you know, they're using GPU uh, units that are able to process the information much much faster. And so you see how that has impacted, you know, the whole marketplace and the whole uh, uh, landscape of robotics and, and how people make money with it. Mm. So how soon until Skynet takes over? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not a very, uh, um, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a proponent of that actually happening. Um, to be honest with you, I think that <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting thought. Uh, uh, um, uh, I, I don't see, and, and, and the reason I don't see it is because as much as we've been, you know, as much as we have developed uh, robots that can perform uh, uh, amazing feats, um, there is a divide between what robots can do physically and, and what robots can do in terms of, you know, uh, thinking, right? So, so the, the, the real intelligent robots, quote unquote, are the ones you you have in your house, your your Alexas, your Siri's, your 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 Google Homes, right? These things that can understand, you know, natural language and can interact and understand what what people do is far more um, uh, uh, intelligent than any robot we've ever, ever produced. So until that th- those two those two uh, distinct lines converge, um, and then we give them a gun or something, I don't see this uh, this doomsday scenario uh, of of uh, you know of uh, Skynet or Terminator happening, to be honest with you. Okay. So we can all breathe easy, at least on that score. Um, but tell us, what developments are you most excited about in real robotics today? So I'm a, as you said at the beginning, I'm, a, I'm an aerospace engineer. I'm, I'm very passionate about space as well. So every time that uh, NASA and JPL, they launch uh, something new, it, it, to me, is, is almost uh, an event, right? It's, it's you know, watching uh, the new rovers land on Mars, uh, and I follow the, MER, the, the, the MERs, 
in 2004 when they arrived to Mars as well. So those things and, and are always really interesting to me and, and the way that the problems are solved in the most simplistic way, and yet it's the most effective way as well, right? So they, they do it from here, there's no, you know, something goes wrong, uh, they have to fix it remotely. So there are, there are provisions for that way before you actually send the, the machine to, other, to, to another uh, planet. So, so those things are interesting. Uh, the robots I mentioned before, um, you, know, the, um, uh, uh, you know, from Boston Dynamics, you, know, the, you see the capabilities that we are able to have today. You know, robots jumping and, 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 and moving li very lifelike. I mean, it's, it's almost like there's somebody inside, right? You know, mo you know moving and jumping and doing those flips. Um, um, uh, and, and also, in terms of uh, industrial automation, um, I, I like what, uh, what companies like Arrival are doing. Uh, in terms of um, they have this concept of micro factories that I really like um, mm -hmm. because it enables you a more a, a more lean approach uh, and a more and, and a different approach to what Tesla is doing for example Tesla is focused on creating gigafactories right you know, the huge buildings huge uh, uh, warehouses to, to to build cars in in Germany or China or the US uh, this other approach seems to be more flexible right you just need a few trucks and, and just the space. You don't need to, uh, you need to pay for other services. And so it has a lot of potential if, if they actually can do something like that. Uh, you combine that to, uh, with, you know, the, the new capabilities of 3D printing, for example. And now we're talking serious disruption in the, in the manufacturing world, right? So I think that is really exciting. It has a lot of promise. So essentially you create a mobile factory anywhere you like. Yeah, you can just need, the, just need an empty lot and that's it. You're, you're good to go. So, I mean, like if we can unplug factories from, you know, the, the need to have big warehouses, facilities, uh, then, the, you know, the sky's the limit after that. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I think that's, that's a really interesting concept. Um, uh, you know, it still needs to be proven. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we still uh, we have some ways to go, but, uh, but I think this has a lot of potential for disruption. Okay, watch this space. So let's get down to Airbus then. You're the principal robotics engineer there. What does that entail exactly? So uh, here in Airbus, uh, what I do is um, I, I, I'm basically a technical a technical lead for some of the projects we do. So I serve, um, I, I work for a central function, which means that although I'm, I'm based here in the UK, uh, I have, I, I, I participate and lead teams in other plants around the world, right? So I have projects in Germany, projects in, 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 in France, in China, in the US. Um, and, and what I do there is, Either I'm, I'm working on something that serves our legacy products, you know, namely the, the, the aircraft that we already have in production. So it's just to improve those production systems, those manufacturing systems. Or I'm working on strategy for future products, right, uh, in, in order to enable future automation to be able to assemble those products by themselves. One example I can give you of that is if you take the, um, the oil aircraft or legacy aircraft, you know, the A320, for example, that, that aircraft was made was designed in the late 80s, more than 30 years ago, uh, with manual labor in, in, in mind, right? So designing anything that, uh, any, any sort of automation system that will serve that is, is always very difficult because, it's, you know, as you, as, as you may imagine, robots are big and, 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 and sometimes very bulky. It's, it's, the access is very, diff is very difficult, uh, it's very challenging. However, in the future, what we wanna do is, we wanna make sure that we design those systems uh, we designed our aircraft or, or wings or fuselages in such a way that it enables the automation to actually be more efficient. 
and 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 allow the automation to actually come in and do the job that that you know and and help your our operators or uh, to actually do the job more effectively. I think that uh, it, it's it's a key part of our future, and, and the company has uh, spread so that way. So um, yeah, it's uh, I, I'm let us basically I'm busy all day long talking about. Uh, uh, you know, guiding teams in order to to uh, uh, be more efficient and more, and more technically proficient in what they need to do, and at the same time working on strategy, working on the next steps, and working on what's coming in the future. And what's it like to work at Airbus? What what are the challenges, for example? Well, the challenges of uh, working on a company that's the size of a small city. Uh, right now, we have 130,000 uh, uh, people working for this company, so. Um, I think that one of the challenges that I see, you know, as, as any other big company is the politics of everything, right? You know, getting on the same page with people that may not, not only don't have the same background, technical background that you have, but also they don't have, you know, the, they don't have the, se- the same cultural background that you have either. So uh, getting your, your point across, having somebody understand uh, 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 what you're saying, because sometimes it's not about you being right, it's, the, it's about the way you, you convey your message. Um, mm. You know, struggling with those two things is always uh, 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 is, is always a topic. Um, I, I'm lucky that I've been working with international teams for a long time, so so I, I have the facility of being able to speak to to you know people and be friendly with them. Some you know in, in most occasions and try to dis- disrupt you know any sort of uh, uh, frictions. Um, I also you know it helps that I, I speak other languages. I don't speak French or German. But it helps that I can speak Spanish and English, uh, and and obviously Japanese. But uh, for for what I do here in Europe, uh, at least having two languages is very is very um, uh, convenient for me um, in order to communicate. But you're based in uh, Wales now, in North Wales. So what's it like moving there from from having been in in Japan and Venezuela and the U.S.? Well, um, uh, th- I think the big the biggest difference uh, was coming from Japan. So I, we lived in Japan for 15 years. Um, and 11 of those 15 years, we lived in the Tokyo in the, in the Tokyo metropolitan area. So that's an area that has 38 million people, uh, and, and it's it's not e- you get used to it, but it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. Um, mm. And 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 we moved here, uh, you know, on purpose. We moved to Wales because we wanted space to breathe. Mm. We actually avoided uh, moving to uh, so the, big, the the biggest city we have close to us is Chester. Or um, which is you know a, a reasonably uh, small city here in the UK, but um, but it still has a lot of people around you, right? So we we avoided moving there. Instead, we we got a, we got a house here in the in 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 Wales uh, with nothing around us, uh, uh, a lot of space to for us to expand, you know, and and, and stretch our legs. Um, it was night and day, you know. My my, my quality of life has changed. Um, in Japan, it's, it's, it's really common to, to commute for hours every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, at one point in Japan, I was commuting two hours each way every day. Wow. So, so now my commute is eight minutes to the plant and in my own car. So, so you know, now I have four, four hours every day that I don't know, I don't know what to do with them. So <laughs> it's, it's great. I, I really like what, 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 you know, the change, my, my wife and my kids, they also like it. So... Uh, don't get me wrong. We 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 all miss Japan. I I, I know that my my kids also do that. But um, in the end of the day, you know, it's 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 more about what the family needed, and uh, and we made that decision together, and 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 we we enjoy being here. 
I think you timed it perfectly as well because you've had obviously time in lockdown there. So yeah. how's that been moving from a busy metropolitan city like Tokyo to suddenly being in the middle of Wales with nothing going on and nowhere to go? <laughs> yeah, well, in, in terms of space, uh, I, 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 I actually, funny you mentioned that because I told my wife that having gone through, if we had to go through the, through the shutdown, through the lockdowns uh, um, and the shutting down of a country in a place like Japan, it's probably something far difficult than being here because, you know, as you may imagine, uh, places to live, apartments and houses are always very small. So, so not only you're confined to your house, but also you're confined to a very small space. Here we have a house. Everybody has their own room. You know, you have that that space for you to to not feel like you're in jail. Let's say, mm. um, and and in in that regard, I think we we made the right decision. I think we we made the right choice. We we were given the we were given a choice when I, when Airbus contacted me and, and offered me the job. They they they, they asked me where did did I want to go? Um, uh, you know, between the four major countries here in Europe: uh, Spain, France. German in the UK and 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 I and and we without hesitation we said UK we're gonna go to the UK um, because it felt something more closer to home in terms of the culture uh, to me at least it's very close to the US uh, in terms of you know everybody speaks English it's easier I didn't need to le- learn another language um, but also um, you know uh, it was just easier for us and and, and I'm sure that my, my sons will have um, uh, will get a lot of learning English more so than learning French or learning German in the long, on the long run. So it, it was a strategic decision, let's say, that it worked out really well for everybody. Absolutely. Uh, and um, just moving from, you know, Tokyo to Wales, you must have seen a big difference in the manufacturing culture, in the technology culture. Yeah, well, um, as you can imagine, uh, the UK is not as automated as other countries. It's, it's actually not even in the top five or ten of you know uh, of the list today. Like I think the number of robots per capita here in the in the UK is much it's much lower than in many other countries around the world. So I was a little bit surprised, to be honest, that how far is the UK lagging in that regard. But I've also been glad to see that there's a lot of efforts in, in, in getting to, to that that next level of okay, we need to we realize that we need to you know step up and and, and get to that. I want to be part of that, and one, that's one of the reasons why I um, I I took the job when when I came over here um, uh, because uh, you know in Japan, sure you know a lot of things are already automated. Uh, if you go to the factories, it's you know a lot of automation in there, so it's not a green field. Uh, you know, if you know what I mean, like it's not it's not a place where you're gonna come in and and and, and have a free range of installing whatever you want. Uh, here, uh, here there's a lot of there's a lot of that. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, I see that there's a lot of uh, companies uh, trying to trying really hard to to take that step. And so, um, being part of Airbus uh, has facilitated me to uh, see this through our suppliers, and so um, uh, and and establish those partnerships. Uh, it's been been really great i really uh, you know even though we still have a long way to go i really enjoy the experience so far so what changes do you think the uk could make in terms of manufacturing and technology to try and boost us and and get into the you know the top five top three so i think the technology is here i think the problem that we have and this is you know i've always uh, let me let me preface this by saying that this is just my own opinion coming from a country that is very different to this. I think that the, the regulations put in place here for specifically for, for health and safety are way too strict. 
I'm not saying we need to relax things that could open up situations in which people will get hurt. But if I compare this to 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 Japan, for example, uh, there's a, you know there's a lot more a lot more restrictions and not a lot more regulation uh, that has to do with not only with what the government wants you to do, but also with what unions want you to do. So so you're you're dealing you're basically dealing with people. So so in Japan that never happens, right? So so if I give you an example, um, well, first of all, Japan doesn't have unions. The unions in Japan are not that strong like, like they are here in other countries. If I give you an, a, a quick example, so um, I've had chats with other, you know, some of our suppliers and they tell us that it's really difficult for them to have their, their, their employees use a specific equipment. So let's say uh, exoskeletons, right? An exoskeleton is basically a, 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 mechanical, uh, a mechanical robot, basically, that you can put on that will help you uh, do something that you could normally not do. For example, lift a, a very heavy load, or perhaps when you have to work overhead, right? You, it will help you keep your your arms up and things like that. Here in the UK, uh, you know, and not only the UK actually, this is this is a problem around Europe. People just don't want to use them, you, you know, for for whatever reason. They you know just don't feel comfortable using it, right? They're given a choice on whether or not. Well, if you don't want to use it, you don't use it. In a, in a place like Japan, for example, that is not even a choice. You know, the company is telling you you need to use this, otherwise you're gonna get hurt. Mm. And, and and that's the and that's the end of it, right? So so it, it is, the adoption of technologies like that, I don't know if, if if it's cultural or not necessarily, but the adoption of technologies is is much simpler in in, in Asian countries that I've seen because the same happens in in Korea, uh, than in, in in other places. Not only I'm sure that it's not just a European thing. I'm sure that if you go to the U.S., it's probably the same. Um, you know, strong unions, strong uh, uh, social partner components that you know you need to get through in order to implement any sort of thing that it will be beneficial for everybody but i i i have the I have the hope that we'll get there it's just a matter of people realizing how useful these things can be uh, i think that's some it's a mis, it's a misconception of what these systems can do for you mm. Well, we'll have to see how things develop, but uh, I, th- I can imagine people, you know, in warehouses with exoskeletons uh, could be quite an interesting sight to see. Yeah. Um, let's get back to your CV then. You, you've uh, attended the Singularity University in Silicon Valley. You met lots of interesting people along the way. Who's had a big impact in terms of robotics and engineering on you? So um, uh, when I visited, when I worked for Singularity University back in 2010 and 2011, um, because I was part of the staff, I had a lot of access to a lot of personalities within not only within Silicon Valley, but also people that would come to NASA quite quite regularly. So um, on that time, I met. Uh, uh, I, I could probably mention first of all, Buzz Aldrin, who is one of the astronauts who you know one of the first men to to step on another another planet or in in, the, in on the moon in this case. Um, it was interesting to met to met him. It was actually the second time I've actually met him, although the first time we didn't interact as much. This time. Uh, it was interesting because he was able to help us. Uh, at the time, we were working on a specific project uh, for Singularity in order to, you know, to. It was a project to basically project humanity into space, and we and we had an opportunity mm-hmm. to ask him basically point blank, what would you do to promote more, you know, space education? What would you do to, um, uh, to to get people more excited about space? Uh, I'm, I, I myself, am, um, uh, you know, one of my first jobs ever was a be- I became a lecturer and professor at the university back in Venezuela. It's something I, that I still do here. I'm also a fellow, a visiting fellow in Cranfield University today. So I like education. I like that aspect of engineering. Um, and and talking to him and 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 he telling me 
look, you know, education is, you know, obviously engineering education, STEM education is really important. And having him uh, tell me uh, that, you know, we need to promote space through Hollywood. Um, I thought it was a, it, it was a really uh, funny thing to say, um, but he's right. I mean, it, it's, it's trying to find a way to reach the most people that, that you can. And, and, and what better way than, you know, uh, inspiring people than, than movies and, and, and shows? Well, it worked for me, right? So, you know, it's, it's the only, it, it, that's how I kind of make that connection because, you know, that's how I, I got into it as well. Um, uh, making things that people can consume at their own time, at their own pace and in different ways is, is obviously, obviously one, one of the things that we all thought, not only myself, but we all thought it was really insightful uh, for him to say. Another person that I really liked meeting when I was at the university was uh, Jeff Greeson. He is the, um, at the time he, he was the, the CEO of Xcore Corporation, uh, one of the, you know, the, the rocket companies that was in the, in, in the, um, uh, in the run to, you know, get uh, suborbital flights. Uh, really smart guy. I remember um, that we, we had a dinner in which we uh, had a discussion about basically Every, everything rockets, right? And, and the way that he would think about things, the way he would break down problems and explain, um, you know, why things work and why it didn't work. I thought it was one of the most engaging things I've ever I've ever done uh, with, with somebody who, uh, somebody with who has that profile. Um, I really enjoy that, you know, that sort of conversation in which you know you can, in order to explain things to people, and it may be really difficult concepts, right? But you need to find a way to break down break down those concepts into something that people can you know can can consume and talk the same language, right? He he never he was never uh, obviously he was not talking down to me. Um, uh, I, I, like him, I also have a PhD. But 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 the way he explained himself, you know, you don't need to use big words. You don't need to use buzzwords in order to to be clever to be to to show yourself as some somebody who understands those concepts. And that's and that's something that I, that that. I'm like that. I try to be like that. I, you know, uh, and, and try to be relatable to the, the, the audience that is, is, is listening to you. Right. So, so I thought that was, that, that had a, a big, I mean, a big impact on me uh, as, as some, somebody who likes education, who likes to, you know, uh, basically educate people on, on, on what to do in the future and guide them in, in, in the future endeavors as well. Well, talking about the future then, um, if you were to look into your crystal ball in, in 10 years time, how do you see robotics being pervasive in our lives? What, what do you think the big change will be? In my view, uh, what we're going to start seeing in, in, the, in the coming years is robots being more and more involved in, in services. So service robots uh, is, is a relatively new field of robotics in which robots are going to be basically able to help you in your everyday tasks that you have to do, you know. It will be more more than just go get me a beer, which is the usual recurring joke on that, right? <laughs> um, it, it will be robots. You know, we, we started with the Roombas of your of the world, right? So you know, a robot that is vacuuming your your your, your house. Uh, we're going to start seeing more and more capable robots doing the same kind of thing. You know, like helping you with everyday tasks. You know, maybe not just washing your dishes and and, and cleaning your house, but also doing more important things like taking care of, perhaps taking care of your kids in the future or, or, or doing specific things, you know, uh, maybe, maybe long, you know, uh, taking care of the garden or what, whatever that's going to be. I think we're going to start seeing more of that specifically. So this is probably on the commercial side, but specifically we're going to start seeing that for the elderly. Um, and this is something Japan has been working on for many, many years now. 
So Japan is a special case because you know that country is becoming very old in terms of population, um, and uh, and and it's basically a problem that we will all have in the future. Every everybody, every single country in the world will go through this. It's just Japan is 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 the first out the door. Um, there's an there's a, mm. something called demographic inversion, um, and it's it's the it's the fact that you know now that we medicine has enabled people to live longer. Now we're going to have to take care of everybody for a longer time, and we don't have enough people to take care of those people in the future. So, so the, 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 that 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 flip of of, of the population on, in in terms of age is going to be important. And and countries like Japan, for example, are preparing for those for, for that time with those systems that are able to take care of the elderly. And so I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that. People, you know, uh, companies and 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 robots that are going to be doing little things here and there, as we prepare for the, you know, for the real robot that is going to take care of, of us when 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 we are, I don't know, seventy or eighty. I don't know. That sounds very reassuring to know that we're going to be looked after when we when we get to that age. Um, <laughs> finally, then, can you explain to us um, a little bit about exponential technology and what impact that will have on our lives? Yeah, well, this is something that you 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 get very much in touch with uh, through Singularity University um, at the time. So, uh, exponential technology is 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 basically a um, it's a piece of technology uh, that it's doubling, more or less doubling its capacity over a period of time, usually over two years. And it kind of follows the the the, the Moore's law um, uh, model, in which you know the for, in case of Moore's law, it's, it's saying that. The number of transistors within an IC chip is going to double every every 18 or two years, 18 months or two years. I don't remember exactly the the number, but right. basically the, the it's it's cost performance. The, the the cost performance of that technology is actually improving so much that it can now be used for everyday business, right? Or on the flip side, perhaps the cost only is 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 being cut by half, right? So 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 you have things like you know things that we've been talking over the last hour: robotics, um, uh, you know, uh, biotech, medicine, um, nanotech, uh, 3D printing. All these things, you know, they are now coming. You know, coming to to a point in which, uh, you know, everybody has a 3D printer now. You know, compared to 10 years ago, uh, you know that that was not the case. So, what's what's really interesting is when those technologies cross each other, right? So you have, in, in like 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 you were saying, you know. Um, Artificial intelligence or deep learning crossing with robotics, or 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 using you know mathematical mathematical models or, or, or deep learning algorithms to to sort out you know biomedical data on, on things like that. So when you start seeing those cross mm-hmm. those crosses, then we're going to start seeing big impacts into what we, on our everyday life. Products that can are able to 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 get through you know that 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 big data cloud you know uh, cloud processing and all those things that you know start affecting us actually those things today have a big impact on what we do we just don't see them right it's like it's, it's like the internet right uh, you know nobody <laughs> the, the network nobody complains about the network until it fails right so so people just don't 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 realize how much these things are already into our lives it's just that it's not evident to us mm. as time passes we're going to start seeing products that are going to be directly to people uh, in in order for us to get to that point so Companies like uh, Teladoc, you know, that are able to do patient assessments 
over the internet or with a specific agent remotely, things like that. We are, this, this, this is the future. This is where we're going. And all this capability is based on the rapid accelerating technology that is, is, is basically doubling its capacity over a, a specific am amount of time. It changes from technology to technology, from field to field, but it, it's basically on the same curve. So let's end the show the same way we do every week by asking our guests to tell us one invention that if it was never manufactured, your life would be unbearable. So Marco, what invention could you not live without? Well, that's a tough one. Um, I think that the, the, the popular choice here would be probably the internet, but I'm going to, but I'm going to, I'm going to go even, even before that. And I'm going to say the transistor. Ah, okay. What, what I would, what I would like to say is, is the IC chip, but, the transistor came first. So I cannot, I think that life would be very different if that had not been invented, obviously. In my case, uh, I would not be a roboticist without that. I, my, my first degree was electronics engineer, so it's, it's, it's kind of close to my heart. But, but yeah, uh, I would say the transistor changed the world uh, in the same, you know, in the same way that today internet is changing the world still. So, so yeah, that's, uh, I'm going to go with that. Good choice. Fundamental. Yes. Uh, all it leaves me to do is to say thanks to today's guest, Marco Chassin. Well, thanks to you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Subscribe to this podcast in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Music. Thanks for listening to this edition of Remake Manufacturing. I'm your host, Stuart Black. See you next time.